2023, a podcast host I refer to as me, flew to New York to chat with somebody, that chat follows as you will see. What's up nerds? I mean, wait, I'm the nerd. How's it going? Uh, it's the Badass Records Podcast, new episodes out Thursdays, keep tabs on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, uh, where you stream audio platforms, um, info about the show, which is about people and music can be found at the website, badassrecordspodcast.com. If you are in KC or going to be in KC and want to do an episode with me in person, hit me up badassrecordspodcast at gmail.com. It's badassrecordspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for stopping by. Hope you enjoy the show. All right. So, what is today? Is today October 14th? Uh, sure. Uh, Saturday. Oh, yes, it is, because it was uh, Friday the 13th yesterday. That's right, that's right. Um, and um, this is episode 89 of Badass Records Podcast, and uh, I am doing my third uh, on-location episode. The first one was in St. Joe, Missouri, at a place called Skate Bar, and the second was at the Aztec Shawnee Theater over in Kansas, so we knocked out two states. Uh, and now I'm sitting here with Dan Hank. Dan, where are we? <laughs> Long Beach, New York. That's right. That's right. Uh, at Abyss Tattoo. Abyss Tattoo. Your spot. Technically, it's the Abyss Tattoo and Fine or Fine Art and Tattoo Parlor. The Abyss Fine, Fine Art. Art and Tattoo Parlor. Right. Fifty Four West Park Avenue, Long Beach, New York. Right. Long Beach is like right next to Long Island, so okay. everyone knows Long Island. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of hip hop shout outs to Long Island, right? Am I right? There, a lot of everything, lot of yeah. Everything. Okay. Um, so this is your spot, and uh, how old is it? Technically, we've been here for five years, okay. but we've been in this location for three. We were in another location, and the shop burned down. Seriously? Yeah. Oh, man. Like, uh, I, I, and we all know, because Long Beach is probably. The most corrupt district in all of New York. Uh-oh. We all know that they burned their own shop down. Like, they burned down for the insurance money. But... That's all right. You want me to... I'll get it. I'll get it. Sorry, talk with my ass. <laughs> it's a New York thing. You're good. You're good. Uh, all right uh somebody burned the shop down for insurance money like a strip a whole the, strip the owner it, it was so it was the way he did it was so screwed up too because what, what he did is he had a pretty famous pizza parlor right next to it it was like um on that what's that show the one bite you know the guy's one bite oh uh flipping portnoy Yes, yes, Mike Portnoy, yeah. Uh, Barstool? Barstool Sports, yeah. 
So he, he did, like, he did a show there. He was like, oh, this piece is really good. So the, the place got some publicity. So a lot of people were coming there. And the owner is like, the, it, it, Pasquale Arpino. He's like an old Italian guy. Okay. And, you know, he was like, oh, I, don't want, I really don't want to deal with this. So what he did is he sold the place to someone else. He didn't want to deal with his own place getting publicity? Yeah, well, he didn't want to deal with all the traffic. Like they, they had a good rotation as being like the spot, but they were kind of like the hidden secret. And now with the, everybody knew about them, he was just like, ah, oh, gotcha. So what happened is I woke up and you know nine in the morning to you know my um, <clears throat> co-worker Rhonda going, the shop is on fire, the shop is on fire. You know, and she's like shooting a video, and I'm looking, I'm like, you know, I'm like. Let, let me get dressed. I'll be there in a minute. So I hop on my bike and, you know, fly there. They've already put out the flames, but, like, the smoke everywhere. Oh, Everything's sure. destroyed. You know, and, uh, but, yeah, we, we all, like, it's so, it, it, it's so corrupt. Like, they come out, you know, with a gas can. And they're like, oh, who loves this gas can? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, so this, this spot, though, is five years old. Three years. Three years old. My yeah. bad. My bad. Shop is five years. This spot is three years. Uh, so I want to get uh, into a little bit about you, but uh, it's it's hard to not start with your uh, Instagram bio, um, <laughs> which is uh, Dead Guy LLC, right? Yes. Your handle is Dead Guy LLC, and the bio reads: Started homeless, stabbed by a crackhead, survived brain cancer, and way more to become a successful art- artist, writer. Owner of the Abyss Fine Art and Tattoo. I mean, where do, where do we start? You, you want to have a brief synopsis? How does one start homeless? Like, when you were... <laughs> well, in, no, I, I guess you could, you could say I didn't start homeless. Oh. But, you know, when I graduated high school, my parents kicked me out. And they moved. Like, I lived in the woods, like, for eight months. Like, rock as a pillow. Walking around when they got cold, starting to freeze to death. Are you... Uh, do you have siblings? Yes. And where are you in the pecking order? I'm the oldest. Okay. My brother is three years younger. He moved with my parents. Um, he just died. He died this year. Oh, shit, man. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, it, it's uh, he was on decline. He OD'd. He OD'd on fentanyl. He probably thought it was heroin, but it was fentanyl. But, yeah, he was in and out of rehab. He's like... He, when he was my little brother, you know, he was one person. And once he started doing the drugs, like, he, he ended up, um, he has a wife that um, he got pregnant. And then he left her for a younger girl, oh, you know, won't pay her child support. She co-signed his student loan to the tune of $100,000. Oh, he wow. stuck her with the loan. Is He turned into, like, not not a good guy. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I don't mean to say yeah. I mean, like, uh, going through some stuff. Uh, Going through a lot of stuff, yeah. Uh, so, but I mean, uh, was there a conversation with your parents, or they were just like, "Get out, and we're moving." And, yeah, my my parents are very conservative, very religious, okay. and you know, um, it, it was kind of cool when I was like, you know, like seven or sure. ten. You know, and I like you know, you know, I I was always into horror and fantasy, and I always draw and I'd write. Like, I wrote my first novel. In fifth grade, like wow. it's horrible. It's horrible if you read it now. <laughs> it's like giant robots fighting giant monsters in space, you know. But you know, and I wrote it on like lined paper, you know, everything in pencil, you know, is in cursive. Sure. But but you know, and I did like a little drawing and stuff. But all that was cool until probably about 
I don't know, 12, which first I got into like, you know, crappy metal, like, you know, Quiet Riot oh, sure, and like, sure. you know, Def Leppard and Rat and stuff like that. And then I heard, you know, all at the same time, three albums and it changed my world. I heard uh, Megadeth, Peace Cells, I heard Metallica, Red Lightning, and I heard Slayer, Halloween's. Okay. And, you know, once I heard that, you know, it's the end of the end for me. <laughs> you know, like, like, so then, like, I grew up my hair even longer, which my, like, my dad chased me around the house with scissors oh. trying to cut my hair. Okay. You know, I, I pierced never my... Never run with scissors, isn't that what they tell you around <laughs> age seven? That, that's, the, uh, that's the name of the album I like by uh, Dead Guy. So oh, yeah. it's an EP. It's nice. called Running With Scissors. Nice. Um, actually, no, that's a song by them. The, okay. the EP is called Work Ethic. But um, anyways... So, <laughs> I, I pierced one of my ears, and I had, um, like, a, a little string through it, you know, so that he couldn't see it, but it wouldn't heal up, you know, while I was oh, around yeah. him. Yeah. But he still saw it, chased me around the house, trying to pull it out, you know. So, I, I ran away from home twice, and, you know, my dad was very much like a spare the water rod, spoil the child, and them being very conservative, you know. Uh, it did go well. Okay. So how did how did uh, where was this? Where did you grow up? This well everywhere because my dad's army. Oh, so okay. Okay. Um, most of this happened in Gainesville, Florida. Okay. Which is like northern Florida. Sure. The University of Florida is there. My dad got a doctorate there. He's a doctorate in anthropology, and uh, you know, but that's when I got into all that stuff and I started smoking. Sure. And I started, you know. I, I had friends, and I'd, like, sneak up at their house, and we'd watch, like, horror movies, and, you know, he, he had a single mom that was really cool, and she'd give us beers, and we'd drink <laughs> beers and stuff, you know, and, and, like, so, I mean, I was just being, like, a teenage deviant. Sure. But, um, but I got really high, um, really high scores, like, um, like, I was in the advanced program. Okay. Uh, down okay. there, it's called the IB program, and they made me take the SATs when I moved, um, to uh, Virginia because okay. it's called the AP program in Virginia. Sure. And they're like, uh, you don't study or anything. This is just for placement. And then they say that the scores, I got a 1350. They said, when I got there, I was like, okay, well, I'll retake it when I'm 18. They're like, no, this is high enough to get into Harvard. You don't have to have a retake it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And, and the reason I'm saying this is not to talk myself up, but, sure. you know, I did have a high GPA because I also had photographic memory. So I, I like, uh, 3.95 GPA. Wow. You know, I, 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 you know, high SAT scores. But, you know, it didn't matter to my parents because, like, I didn't look like a good Christian boy. Oh, I see. I see. And then when we, right when we moved, um, I was still in the metal, and then I quickly got into punk rock. Okay. And then I had a mohawk, and sure. I had a spiky leather jacket, you know, and combat boots, and I looked like a British punk rocker. I, I could see it. And uh, my parents were very, first, they were like, what is wrong with him? Oh, man. You know, and, and then they decided, because they're super conservative and super Christian, that I must be inspired by the devil. Oh, gotcha. So they they, uh, <clears throat> they made me go to a Christian psychiatrist. Um, they, my brother, who was three years younger, I think this is the beginning of the end. Um, <clears throat> when he got out of school, they locked him up in a mental institute. For the entire summer. Why? Because he was in punk rock. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha. So, do you know, how did they meet, mom and dad? Um, well, my dad, his parents are missionaries in Africa. Like, he speaks Swahili fluently. He speaks, oh, wow. uh, 
English fluently and he speaks French fluently. And, um, you know, when, I, I don't know. They met with the, I'm sure because they're both very religious, they probably met in the church. You know, my, my mom is from like a, kind of like a southern upper class, you know. I, I don't know, like, my mom is not racist at all. My dad definitely is. He had a lot of black finance when he grew up in Africa, like, you know. Um, <clears throat> but my grandmother on my mom's side, she is. Okay, okay. But we, we all thought she was a piece of shit, so it didn't, <laughs> it didn't really matter. Nice. Uh, before we uh, go any farther, uh, I also wanted to mention uh, danhank.com. A lot of good info there. Nice okay. looking website. Uh, and then abyssartstudio.com right. is the shops page. And right. you, have, you have a wiki. How did you wind up with a wiki? <laughs> I don't know. At one point, I was like in all the magazines, okay. traveling all the world. So I had my quote, 15 minutes of fame. So, you know, it happened somewhere around then. Okay. Uh, and then uh, Skull Session with Dan uh, podcast, which yes. uh, you, the, you you can stream it on audio. It's got a YouTube. Uh, I, I'm on everywhere. Okay. Um, like uh, Apple, nice. Google, yes. you know, YouTube. YouTube is the best because I edit every episode, and I love to put lots of stuff in there so you see, like, you know, lots of, like, movie posters and illustrations and all that stuff. Right on. Uh, so, weekly conversation with authors, artists, and creators of the dark art world. Right. Horror, comic, comic books, fantasy, sci-fi, and your episode... 59? No, episode 63. 63. And then did I see that you kind of will drop a couple or three at a time? Is that... Uh, Well, what happens is for YouTube, every Thursday they go up. Okay. But I Same with mine. I also... (laughs) Really? Yeah. I also have Buzzsprout. And Buzzsprout puts it out to everybody. Like, you know, Google Podcasts. I looked at Buzzsprout, but you got to pay for it. Yeah, if it's if it's, it's eighteen dollars though. Yeah, I know, but I was <laughs> just you know. Anyway, um, but yeah, I, I on Buzzsprout like you like they allow you a certain amount of space, and uh, so I I go right. there yeah. like you know once a month or whatever. Yes, and I'll upload like three to four That's episodes. That's right, because uh, I was like, oh, this is the platform I'm going to use, and then my first episode was three hours long, and they're like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Yeah that's, yeah, that's too big. And I was like, what? There's yeah, a... mine are more like 45 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it just turned a year. Yeah. Year, uh, like last month, right? Yeah, what? The podcast just turned a year old. A little more than a year old. A little old. more? Okay, yeah. well. I, I think it's doing well. It has like over a thousand subscribers. Seriously? Know? Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. Uh, I think I have 54. <laughs> no joke. Um, but that's super cool. 63 episodes, a little over a year. Uh, that many subscribers. That's awesome. I think it's like a thousand seven or something. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Um, so when you were little, uh, did did mom and dad put on? Did they listen to music? No. The, not, not they. My my dad's big in the country, um, and I remember his favorite artist was Johnny Cash. Okay. And to this day, I like Johnny Cash. Sure. But I can't stand like a you know, like a Merle Hagger like screeching or whatever, and then. My dad got into only Christian music, so all they would listen to was gospel music. And okay. I, I remember I, I even tried to, like, you know, make nice with my dad, and I, I played Social Distortion. You know, I, I figured, well, you know, Social Distortion is kind of the punk rock version of Johnny Cash, right. you know. No, he hated it. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you're you're into uh, the the quiet riots, etc. Early, and then that, and then you transitioned into harder stuff. You said you wrote your first novel at what age? Um, I was in fifth grade. Fifth so grade. Okay. Whatever that, like eleven or something like that. I guess. Um. Yeah. And and you've n- not stopped, right? You 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 still write. Yeah, today. I still write. Yeah. Um. And uh, you gave me. Let me. Uh, I should have it closer. <laughs> A lot of sitting today, sitting in a uh, in a in a in a plane chair, and then I sat at the airport for a while. I sat and had a sandwich. I'm sitting. My, my bones are my bones are <laughs> achy. But uh, the Never Dead, um, right. and this is look, look. There's a bunch of illustrations in there too. I did all those. This is this year. Yeah, 2023. Yeah. Very cool. Um, but you have other print stuff published as well, right? Yeah, in the um, cabinet right above you. Okay. Um, there's there's some more books. Nice. Oh yeah, heck yeah. Uh, down highways in the dark. Well, like that one, the end of the world. That's oh, uh, yeah, the end of the world. Very nice. That's my newest one. That's like 2018. And and those can be found on danhank.com. Or Amazon. Amazon or Barnes Barnes and Noble. And Noble. Like they're everywhere. How did you? managed to pull that off <laughs> i mean i've never looked into it and been like oh that that seems hard right uh i just never looked into it i figured well, the it was the thing is whenever i get into anything i try like i get ocd like over the top you know and uh I so it. i try and look into every avenue and it's not that hard to get yourself out you know and it, you got to stay you got to have some, a little bit of discipline and stay consistent at it right you can't right, just yeah. Try a little bit and then be like, eh, it didn't work. Right? Well, yeah, but like you said, I'm below C. I can't do that. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about ink? When, what age did your uh, affinity for tattooing uh, come Well, online? let's see, it was 1998, so I was, what, 26? You know, and um, it, it's not, like, or this is a story with the tattooing, like, you know, First, I, I did all this artwork for everybody, like paint all the love jackets, you know. And uh, then I was, you know, did political cartoons for Mad Cat Magazine. I was in Maximum Rock and Roll, you know. Um, so I was, like, thinking, like, yeah, I'm on my way. Um, I was, like, uh, sending out stuff remotely to, like, combo companies. Um, Paradox Press picked me up. Kitchen Sink picked me up. Both went bankrupt before they put anything out, oh, unfortunately. Um, but... Finally, I told myself, I went to the illustrators meeting, everybody's like super down on it, you know, I was like, you know, I should go to art school and like totally refine myself. So I did, I, I went to, I went to community college, paid for it myself. In Florida? No, this is in uh, Virginia. Oh, okay, okay. Because um, by this point we were living in Virginia. Sure. So I went to community college. Um, all I had, I had like a 10-year-old motorcycle. So you know how hard it is to bounce art supplies on a 10-year-old motorcycle while you're driving? But I, I went to, to college, and then my art teacher, it was this awesome guy. Um, we just knew him as Mr. Thomas. He's like a famous black artist in D.C. Okay. Very controversial, which is great because he loved my stuff. Nice. You know, and uh, I remember he did... Um, he was at the famous Watergate Hotel, oh. and, and they asked him to do, um, like, they did a big art show there, sure. you know, and they asked him to do a piece for it because he's, like, a famous local artist, and he did a soldier running through Vietnam shooting a gun, but his gun is his cock. Oh, wow. Nice. <laughs> so it got kicked out, 
but he's a black artist from D.C., so it was in all the papers, so they immediately put him back in. Oh, nice. Wow. But he, he was that kind of guy. Yeah. You know, so he, he was awesome, but he said, you know, he's like, if you want to make an art, you got to move to New York. So I moved to New York, you know, like put everything I own in a backpack. I had a friend that lives in Queens. I got on my old motorcycle and drove overnight straight up to New York. For real? Yeah. At, 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 what, at what age? 26. 26. Okay. Um, man. Uh, so um, back to the uh, Instagram uh, oh wait, own. let me tell you the, the tattoo. Oh yeah, place. sorry, sorry. Yes, please. So, so I I came up to New York and I was trying. I interviewed DC Comics, which was doing very badly at that time. By the way, the if it wasn't late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. This is like ninety eight. No, okay. So they would have folded if it wasn't for the movies. Like the movies saved them. Same with Marvel. You know, but um. So I remember they're very negative. I had this like very slick art school portfolio. You know, and he looks through it. Um, Andrew Helfer's the guy who interviewed me, and he okay. like, looks through it, and he's like, eh, this might work in art school, but let me tell you what it sells. And he pulls out a comic, and it's like Superman punching Lex Luthor. You know, he's like, you want to do this? I was like, no. He's like, we don't have a job for you. Oh. That, that was a whole interview. Wow. <laughs> I interviewed with that. Uh, kind of impressive that you got an interview, though, right? <laughs> I would be proud of that. Well, I, I remember I was like, how do I get in the art community? So I started doing... um. They're called Portfolio Days. Okay. You know? So I did a Portfolio Day at Pratt. And uh, I remember um, the the School of Art and Design said, you've already developed a style, go get a job. Um, I remember FIT offered me a full scholarship, but they wanted me to go four years to the college. Mm. And I was like, yeah. They're like, yeah, well, we'll give you housing. We can probably give you some spending money. I was like, but I have to go four years. I want to start now. Right. You know, and then I interviewed with the guy at Pratt. He's like, well, I ink comics for DC Comics. He's like, I can get you an interview. You know, and, and first he opens my portfolio and goes, oh, get a job. Is he being serious? <laughs> yeah. Nice. You know, I was like, I was like, you know, this is before he told me the ink comics. And I was like, well, I'm trying. He's like, well, maybe I'm being hasty. Then he opens another page. He goes, no, get a job. Oh, get a job. Get, I thought you said good job. No, no, okay, he said get okay. a job. You know, and, and meaning like a nine to five, not in not. not no, this. no, he meant like getting our job. Oh, like, like you know, like I'm impressed. So he, oh, I, and I also put my best stuff at the beginning of the book. So he opens up and he tells me to get a job, and then you know, I said, well, I'm trying. I haven't gotten one yet. He's like, well, maybe I'm being hasty. And he opens another page. He goes, no, get a job. I was like, well, I'm trying, but, you know, he's like, well, you know what? I ain't for DC Comics. I'll set you up with an interview with Andrew Helfer. And Andrew Helfer was head of their Vertigo line, which um, has a swamp thing. You know, oh, they, yeah. They have, like, all this, like, you know, kind of, like, dark Sandman, you know, like, okay. you know, like, movie. So I was like, that'll be perfect. So, and you know. this is, how long have you been in New York when this is happening? This is still 98, you know, like I'm hitting everybody I possibly can. Okay, gotcha. And, and so I remember, you know, he set me up with the interview and first Andrew Helfer was like, just mail me stuff. So I did. And then I check up a little bit later. I'm like, did you get it? He's like, no. He's like, just mail me some more stuff. I'm like, look, you know, I can, but I'm this at the time I didn't have a printer or anything. So I'm like, it cost me money. I'm local. Why don't I just stop it? <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's how I got, you know, the interview. Nice. So I, I went in. Well played. I, yeah. So uh, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. 
So I went to the interview, and like I said, he was like super negative. And um, I was like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, I did um, art for a bunch of bands. Okay. You know, and um, most of them, like they're kids. They're like in their early 20s. Sure. And they get a big advance, and they just blow it. And so I do art for them, and then I say, hey, can I get, you know, some money to pay my rent? And they go, oh, talk to label. So I talk to label, and label would be like, oh, well, we gave them an advance. Part of that is towards the artwork. I, I, I tell them, I'm like, this is what the label told me. They're like, oh, that's what it's for? We already spent that. I'm like, well, how am I going to pay my rent? Enjoy my free work. Yeah, yes. yeah. So <clears throat> I, won't, I won't mention the band, but it happened with a lot of bands. Um, I would say the the best, like most, um, you know, consistent, well-paying, kept the word band was Coalesce. Okay. Coalesce was awesome. And um, and paid you for work you did? Paid me for the work nice. I did. You know, they, they kind of gave me like a rough concept, you know, um, and they just let me go. Okay. You know, which is great. Nice. Like, there were other bands that they wanted a sketch and they wanted a watercolor sketch and I'd do the whole thing and then they like criticize and critique stuff and, and I'd be like ah. and they're like hey can you move the head like this much I'm like it's an oil painting not digital you know <laughs> right. uh, and so uh, eventually well I was doing all that and I was I, I was struggling yeah like I interviewed with uh, Penguin Books Penguin Books like we they're like we love your art feel free to resubmit I'm like what the fuck does that mean you know, what it means is... The runaround. I don't know if I can curl. Like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, I'm like, what does that mean? And, like, they wanted tear sheets. Um, tear sheets are proven worth that you've done for somebody else before they, like, entrust you. Because for all oh, they I know, see. the paintings you did are, you know, it's taken you 10 years and they're the best ones you ever did. And, you know, huh. so they want to see that you've worked for someone else. Well, the way you get, like, smaller jobs that lead up to that is you do magazine covers. But oh. magazines didn't really, you know, the, most of them had died out. They were right. Like, the only ones that bought oil paintings were fantasy magazines and sci-fi magazines. Okay. You know, so, and I was like, well, I'd rather paint sci-fi than fantasy, like Conan Barbarian. So I, I'll, I'll paint sci-fi. So, and, and I, I remember before I painted sci-fi, I just sent my paintings to magazines. And they're like, uh, it looks great, but I don't see any sci-fi. I was like, ah, I got to do some <laughs> sci-fi. So then I started doing sci-fi, and like that one up there, um, is uh, the first sci-fi painting I did with the newspaper. No, no, the one right next to that, to the left, to the right. Oh, okay, very nice. You see that with the yeah. little spaceship and yeah. stuff. So that's the first sci-fi painting I did. Um, there's another one that's all the way out there. This is the second sci-fi painting I did. I'm like, I should send him at least three. So I'm working on the third one. And my brother, a friend, is a tattoo artist, and he's seen my my art. And he's like, that guy should tattoo. Oh, you know, and and, uh, and like the first, I was offered an apprenticeship when I was nineteen, but I thought tattoos were all like little old school designs. But now my eyes have been opened. Yes. I've seen like a yeah. lot of other stuff. I was like, all right. So I took him up on the offer. You know, um, I was working a, a restaurant job, which sucked. Sure. Uh, but uh, I, I saved up money. I bought machines and inks and all that sort of really? stuff. Really? Yeah. You saved while working in the restaurant business. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, I, I did it for I, 20 years. I'm still broke. But, you know. <laughs> well, um, but I also, like, it, it, 
it's a long story. Like, I, I feel like my life is kind of a long story. But, um, like, I used to, as punk rocker, I used to get beat up all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Me, well, I was in Virginia. I had, like, spiky blue hair. This was, like, the it, early 90s. People just looked at you and felt like, I'm going to fuck with that guy? Yeah, well, and, and like, I was in Fairfax, Virginia, so it was, like, Jockorama there. So, like, people would drive by and be like, hey, faggot. Oh, nice, you know, nice. and, and being like a snotty little kid, I'd be like, yeah, fuck your mom. Yeah. And then they all <laughs> jump out and they beat my ass. Oh, damn. Okay. <laughs> so, I think getting stabbed by the crackhead was like the final straw. Like, after that, I was like, I need to learn how to, to you know. That happened in the same vein of somebody fucking with you, and then tell me, what, how did this go down? All right, well, the. I lived with my girlfriend. I mean, it's, it's kind of a rocky road. Like, I flipped my car, and I had to sure. move in with my girlfriend. And she lived in D.C., so I ended up living in D.C. D.C. was very bad. as a Marion Barry years. Oh, wow. That's when Marion Barry was calling tape with the hooker, smoking yeah. crack. Yeah. yeah. So, um, even if you lived in, like, a very mediocre community, there was, like, a gate around your community. You know, so we, we lived in a mediocre area, but there was a gate around the community. You know, and... Um, her sister, you know, who lived in the suburbs, moved in with us, had no idea what she's doing. So she's walking her fluffy white dog around the building at midnight. So a couple crackheads come up, you know. Inside the gates? Outside the gates. Outside the gate. Okay, okay. We're, we're stupid. Right, right. <laughs> but, but so, like, you know, two crackheads came up and they, they wanted money. And she didn't have anything because, I mean, she didn't want to walk her dog. She didn't bring a purse or anything. You know, she's like, oh, I don't. You know, and they're like, well, you do in there. And they're pointing in the building, you know, but I mean, she has a key in to let them in, you know. And one guy had a knife. So crackheads can wield weapons. <laughs> Seriously. I just, you know, anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. It's DC, too. It's pretty hardcore. Okay. <laughs> Noted. Noted. So this one guy has a knife, and the other guy has his hand in his pocket like he has a gun, you know. So the guy with the knife gets a little spooked, and he takes off. But the guy pretending they like weren't had, together. Yeah, they were together. Oh, okay. So the guy pretending he has a gun, you know, like makes her, you know, take them, take him into the place. So me and my girl upstairs, and I don't remember what we're doing. We're talking about something, whatever, and we hear her call us, and you know, we're like, yeah, whatever. We'll answer in a minute, and then she calls again. And she's all hysterical, you know, and we're like, wait a minute. So I start walking down the steps, and I see that the crackhead that pretended like he had a gun. Apparently he didn't, but a toolbox opened. He ran over, grabbed a hammer, and he's holding her like this with a hammer to her head. Ugh. Like he's going to bash her brains out. And I'm like walking down the steps. And I'm like, oh, man, what's up? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I'm like, what do you want? And he's so fucked up. Like his eyes are all jaundiced and everything. He's like, I wanted money. And I'm like, well, she doesn't have any. He's like, and he edges over to the foot of the steps. He's like, oh, but you do. And I'm like, you know, pulling out my pocket and I'm like I, I just got changed man I get changed right but it's DC is very bad so I have a knife like strapped you know they have rules in DC like you're allowed to have a knife the blade can't be shorter than your hand and it, it has to be visible it can't be you know and so I, I have a knife that probably saved my life I don't know how many times in really <laughs> yeah oh yeah you know but I, I had a knife and like he comes edging over with her and then he starts to like feel my pocket. He's like, get it to me. Give me all of it. Give me all of it, right? <clears throat> and, and you know, one is all the hammer and one's like this. And then it lands on the knife. I'm like, I'm not letting a crackhead get a knife, you know? So I go like this, you know, 
Or actually, no, this was a him. Was this it? No, yeah, this was a hammer hand, and I go like this to like you know grab the knife, and he he gets it most of the way out. Oh no! Right, but I'm like this, and you know, because he's like it was popular in DC. You do drugs that have, are mixed with something else, so he had an upper and downer, so you get like spurts of energy, and, and it's just sawing through my finger. Ah, like and if you can see, I have like a giant scar there. Wow. You know, and uh. So, but it's like this, and then I was wearing a flight jacket, and there are all these little holes in, and he was trying to stab me with it, you know, and, so he he's try, and he tried to swing the hammer, and I grabbed the hammer, and I'm like bashing his hand against the wall, and stuff, you know, but... What time of day is this? What? Is it, oh, midnight. Yes, and yeah. And nobody hears a racket? It's like 1230, nobody cares, D.C., <laughs> those people are just like, thank God I'm inside with the door uh, locked. In, in, in D.C., so we didn't have a car, but we'd often enter through the parking garage, which is downstairs. And, and, you know, at certain times of the year, they have signs up this. They say, you know, if somebody, you know, doesn't have the lights on, don't flash them to tell them because it's gang initiation week. So you get shot. Gotcha. Jeez. <laughs> so, <clears throat> but, so my girlfriend comes running down the steps we had a pool cue, and you know we have the saw heavy end of the pool cue. Yeah. And she smashes him as hard as she can in the head, and he's so fucked up. He's like, wow. <laughs> and she keeps doing it. Oh and my she god. Does, it's like on the eighth time when you finally look, they're like, like bitch, I'll kill you. And then she runs the stairs to call the cops. Holy you know, shit, man! And are you just bleeding profusely while all this is going well, on? Not, not really, because I mean it's kind of like blocking the blood, just sawing through. You know, and, and, and meanwhile, your adrenaline's running, you're fighting with this guy. You know, I have all these little stab marks. And, like, when I took off, like, my shirt, I have, like, all these little punk shirts where you're, like, trying to stab me. And, Jesus you know. Christ. <clears throat> but, so, they should run upstairs to call the cops. And, you know, the, the cops are like, if you don't calm down, we're going to hang up. She's like, no, no, my boyfriend is fine with the crackhead. You got to come. There was a, a station a block away. They came 45 minutes later. Jeez, is this dude still around? What, the crackhead? Yeah. I don't know. Oh. But, uh, so, uh, he's not, oh, he's not in the apartment, yeah. So, finally what happened is, you know, we're going back and forth. He doesn't have the hammer anymore. And then he starts to lose it. And when he starts to lose it and I go for the handle, like, I see his eye get real big. Like, oh, shit. Right? And I go for the handle and he just takes off. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, I chased after him, you know, but... Crack is much faster, and I, I these giant boots on. Yeah, I these giant boots on. Oh, and I have the steel toes, like those boots I had. They yeah. have steel toes, and I was kicking him in the shins as hard as I could, but he's so fucked up. You know, probably the next day he could barely walk. Wow. You know, but like you get cracked in the head, you get cracked in the shins. You know, but so when the cops show up, they call from across the street and they go, "Is he still there?" <laughs> We're like, no, motherfucker. What? <laughs> so wow. the cops come in, and I'm out with the cop, you know, and it's two black guys, and one guy, you know, has a pad. He goes, all right, was he darker than me? Oh, man. Okay. Like, he's That's like, a, what do you look like? He's like, I don't know, crackhead, puffy orange jacket. You know, he's like, oh, is he darker than me? And then he goes, oh, that color looks pretty bad. You, know, you want me to call you an ambulance or something? I'm like, I'm fine. He goes, oh, yeah? Move your hand. I couldn't move my finger because I have no tension left anymore. Oh, damn. So I'm like, he's like, and he's laughing. He's like, ah, I told you. Wow. <laughs> so I wrap, I put it 
under a faucet and it burned like all of a sudden it burned like a motherfucker. I bet. You know, and then I wrapped it in a towel and I called the cab. I took the cab <laughs> to the George Washington Medical Center, which is the closest hospital. Probably saved yourself two thousand dollars or something by not taking. Yeah, well, and then <clears throat> it's kind of an ongoing thing. That area, like punk rock, is really down on. So I go there, and uh, they waited forever, like an hour before they took me in. Right. You know, and then they didn't even do this anymore. They wanted me to pay up front. Wow, and you... I had ninety-seven dollars. I was dishwasher. Yeah, I had ninety-seven dollars. I gave it to them. Um, by the way, that's not on the records. It never came back. You know, they didn't even write it down. They probably just pocketed it. But then I went to go see them, and what they did is they just sewed it closed. Okay. They didn't reattach the hands or anything. Oh no! And when they sewed it closed, they figured I probably didn't have any money, so they put interns on me so interns are sewing it and i remember the doctor came out and he's like oh this is just too far apart he comes back out oh this is just too close together like yeah it wasn't good and after that i'm like don't i need surgery and they laughed at me and, and you know and i go can i get like a payment plan or something and again they laughed at me so what uh, how does did the tendon ever get repaired? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, so a different time. So they were telling me they could do a bone fusion maybe and put me in a payment plan for that. And so my finger would be like I'm like, dude, I'm 19. <laughs> you know, and like like I said, they're just like, you know, to them it's the funniest shit in the world. And all of this is because you don't have coverage or what? I don't have coverage okay. and I look punk rock. Oh, okay. oh. If you look punk rock, you are just like, you know what my uh, guidance counselor at school when I was trying to get a loan for college said? Uh-uh. She said, get ready for a cure of pumping gas because that's all you're ever going to do. No, come on. <laughs> for real? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, you get fired for some shit like that today. <laughs> oh, yeah, but, you know, not, not this is like 91. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, of course. In Virginia. Like, I still remember what she looked like. Uh-huh. I still remember her name. It was uh, Mrs. Robinson. She had short-cut blonde hair. You know, what an encouraging thing to say to a young mind. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so, so you know, I'm like, is there a public hospital? There was one in all of D.C. It was in Southeast D.C., which is the worst. And there's a American barrier, so it's like a wasteland. Okay, okay. It was, like, it was like Baghdad after the war, you know? Yikes. <laughs> you know, so, but the thing is, like, I really got along with the ghetto people because I looked crazy. I looked all punk rock. <laughs> like I remember, I, I went there and there were a couple of black girls and they were like, "Oh man, are you are you popular, Zed?" You know, like they were they were talking to me. Wow. You know, and uh, but so uh, I went to the hospital and the hospital it was it was uh, Southeast DC DC Generals it was called and it, it was right like a parking lot away from the jail. Like there are people in foot irons walking by me. You know? <laughs> and when they do the surgery, wow. they're supposed to do reattach the tendon and they're supposed to do 19 stitches. They reattach the tendon, which I was kind of concerned about because the week before the hospital had done surgery on a lady with the amputated foot, they amputated the wrong foot. <laughs> You're making that up. So, so I was like, can I stay awake when you do this? And they're like, no. <laughs> so the last thing I remember is like this rusty lamp coming down like this and then I passed out <laughs> and fortunately it was the right you know finger but what they did they're supposed to do 19 stitches they did four uh why so like gaps are like open oh and then God. it was even better what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to like glue 
fish string, you know, like yeah. fish line, yeah. and then attach to the cast so you don't move all your tendency line. They forgot glue. So they just punched a hole through my finger, and they tied fishing line. <laughs> wow. And, and then I remember there was a guy, um, there was a guy that came down for an internship at the hospital because you have to go through therapy after that, you know, and he's like, what did they do to your finger? <laughs> Not any of the right things. It no, sounds like. no. Wow. Uh, okay, so we have stacked, stabbed by a crackhead, started off homeless, survived brain cancer. When and when? How did, what's that story? So then I've been tattooing. You know, I moved to New York. I've been tattooing now for about about a year and a half. But I lied to everyone. I told three years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> well. I mainly lied to the place I want to get jobs at. <laughs> right. Like, how right. long have you been tattooing? I'm like, oh, three years. You know? But, um, so, but, you know, by the time I came down with brain, I was in the hospital, by the way, when the Twin Towers went down. So. For, for getting your cancer treated? Yeah. Yeah. The, right after surgery, I was in ICU and the Twin Towers went down. Uh, so this is not too terribly long after being stabbed. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, well, I, I guess stabbed, I think it was like 95 or whatever. Oh, okay. I was yeah. thinking 98. Yeah. Um, no, 98 is when I moved to New York. Okay. Oh, right. This right, happened right. in DC. Yeah. Uh, what, what, uh, what was going on when you first felt like something was wrong or, or... well, I started, I, I'd been tattooing, you know, now I've been tattooing for like a little over a year and I'm thinking, oh, I'm on my way, you know, I'm sure. making it. Yeah. I'm finally working a job that, like, pays good money that lets me do art for a living. You know, before that, I'd be used to, like, you know, like, I, I went door-to-door for Greenpeace. I did telemarketing. Sure. I did, so, I, you know, I'm thinking that I'm finally making it somewhere, and then I'm getting, I start getting headaches. And at the time, like, after really? I stabbed with the crackhead, I got big into martial arts. You know, I, I was like, I got to learn Makes how sense. to defend myself. So, like, I'm a second new black belt in Taekwondo. Nice. I was a gold medal of the Virginia State Championships, which means if I had money, I could go to the um, Olympic training camp. Wow. Not that I'd be in the Olympics, but I could go to the training camp. Sure. Possibly. But sure. I can afford that. You know, uh, you right. Know. No, that's free. But, uh, so, and, and then when I moved to, and then I saw the, the first UFCs, and I was like, oh, I got a little more than Taekwondo. So, you know, then I was taking Jukudo. I'm phase two in Jukudo. And I was doing um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And I was doing Muay Thai. And, you know, my head started hurt. And they're like, uh, you know, you know, do you do anything? I, was, I, I told them I did. They're like, oh, it's a brain bleed. It's what? A brain okay, bleed. Okay, okay. So, well, first when I got, you know, headaches, I went to, like, a local cheap, you know, clinic. And uh, they said it's migraines. They're like, we have medicine for that. Um, we get free samples. We give some. Oh, we're out. Okay. And they wrote me something for the pharmacy. And I go to the pharmacy and they try and read it. And they're like, we can't read his handwriting. And they they try calling him and he won't answer. So what? they're like, go to a better pharmacy. So I go to another pharmacy. And they're like, oh, well, you know, you, you're dehydrated. So they pump saline solution to me. And they're like, at call a pharmacy? Us. Yeah, at the pharmacy. Okay. And they're like, so, and they're like, call us tomorrow if you feel worse or different or anything so that night me and my girl had chinese food and the next morning i'm throwing it up i feel like i have a jackhammer to the back of my head you know and, and she's calling non-stop and when they finally come in they're like go to the hospital 
So I go to the hospital, and by that point, like, it had progressed so far that I'm, like, trying to walk straight, but I'm walking sideways, and she's correcting me. What what kind of time frame are we talking from when the headaches first start, start happening to... Two weeks. Two weeks? First taking Advil, then it would come back after, like, a couple of days, come back later in the evening, so i take two Advils a day. Then I was like, this is not normal. Like, after a week, I was like, this is not uh, yeah, normal. Yeah. That's when I went to, like, the, the cheap, you know, the, uh, so, the cheap so, medical but, place. But and, the, yeah. stuff, the stuff had been there. It yeah. just, you just well, hadn't they, had they symptoms. Say, they say it, you know, like, they weren't sure. They're like, it was a slow-growing tumor. Um, it might have been there since you were six years old. Oh, wow. Um, but they say because it was slow-growing, the inside was all necrotic tissue, so once it broke open, that's it. You're dead. So really? That, yeah. So so that so, had not happened yet, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. Unless we're in the Matrix. Right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> we all take the yeah. the red yeah. pill. You know. But so I, I'm trying to go in. I'm like walking sideways, and, and you know, but but she guides me in. You know, this is my girlfriend who I later married. Um, but so she guides me in. They put me in the casket. First, they ask what I do. I say what I do. They go, oh, it's a brain bleed. And they put me in the casket and they go, oh, wait, it's cancer. At, at, upon looking at the results of the scan. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And they're like, um, and they, they examined, I guess, and they're like, you know, yeah, we have to do surgery right away. You probably had two weeks left. Wow. And, and I, I was like, okay, okay. And like, I, I'm just like, at least the headaches are big. On your brain. Surgery on your brain. Oh, yeah. You know, so, so like, you know, the headaches should have been a little bit because they've given me some medication. Sure. So I, I'm just like, all right, all right. My girl starts crying. You know, um, I mean, we'd only been going out like three months. She's like a recent immigrant from Columbia, but we had like a strong bond for her. She just, you could tell that she just like, she felt devastated. She's like, you don't care. I'm like, well, of course I care, but what am I going to do about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, and so they said we have to do surgery. They didn't. Four days later, because they wanted to run me through on MRI with contrast and stuff. And um, they said, you have about a 50-50 chance of making it because it's brain surgery. And I remember I called my parents and they're like, well, you know, we come see you for last minute tickets weren't so expensive. <laughs> so, <laughs> are they still in Florida or are they in Virginia? Or? No, no, no. Now they're in North Carolina. Look, nope. We don't okay. get along that well. Yeah. No, I know. But when you called them, uh, where were they living? Uh, they were living in Auburn, Alabama. Okay. Oh, they moved around. My dad was, was oh, working. Yeah. He was teaching at a war college there. Okay. Um, but wow. So, so I, I had surgery. How supportive. The, oh, yeah, yeah. So, and they ran a pathology on it to see if it was malignant or benign or was malignant. You know, so I, I'm in ICU in Bellevue Hospital, and I kind of lucked out. Like, my girl can't believe that, you know, I had surgery and I'm still alive in Bellevue. Yeah, you know, and because Bell, you don't have the best reputation. Uh, do I even want to ask how one? I mean, you got to uh, open up the skull to access the brain, right? Oh yeah, I, I have a hole in the back of my head. Right? A hole? Uh, I have a hole with like a little metal screen in it because they have to drill a hole in, ah, and, and they okay. they piece up the tumor and they pull out the pieces. All right. Thanks you know, for uh, having me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. So afterwards, I'm in ICU with like my head done up like the Invisible Man, like in bandages with like a slit for my eyes. Wow. And I have a I have a little hole right here, like it's healed up. I have a hole in my skull, and I have a brain plug in it. You know, it, it's like 
pulling brain fluid out. Oh, Jesus <laughs> swelling in my head, you know. Of, of course. So I'm like, I'm like this in the hospital, you know, and um, actually they hadn't injured my face by this point yet. They did before I left, but they did you know, what? They hadn't bandaged up my face oh, okay. yet, but gotcha, they gotcha. did before I left. But so I, I'm in the hospital bed like this, and that's when the twin towers went down. You know, so, and, and for some reason, like, it, it messed with the local TV signals, so we're only hearing the radio broadcasts, but I'm in ICU, so you don't really sleep that well in ICU. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know? So, like, you were like, oh my God, a plane hit the towers, and they think it's an accident at first, you know, <clears throat> and I see, like, some of the nurses around me are freaking out. Then when the second one hits, that's when they notice terrorism, and so we can watch the Spanish TV screen, so we're seeing it. You know, we can't make out the words, but we're seeing the images on the screens. We're hearing on the radio what's going on. And they started kicking people out of beds because a lot of homeless people like act like they're sick and get in a you know, bed in a warm place for the night. And um, they started kicking people out. I'm like, I'll go. They're like, sit down. Nice. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Hell yeah, you got to sit down. You but, your face yet. And, and we're, right, we're right next to the freeway. So I'm like looking out the door and I'm seeing ambulances screaming up the FDR, you know. And they they thought that way more people would be coming in, but you know not that many did. The ones that did were severe. Like one guy had like eighty percent of his skin burned off, you know, and stuff. But it it wasn't that there weren't that many survivors, you know. And uh, so we oh and my um I just want to give a throw out to my wife. So so my girlfriend at the time, like I said, um, she's a Colombian immigrant. So we we had like. A little bit of a cultural barrier and a little bit of a language barrier because she spoke kind of broken English. Sure. But every single day after work, she'd come see me. She'd bring me stuff. She'd How long were you in? Uh, a little over a week. <clears throat> but okay. every every day. And the thing is, you have all these friends. Like I had friends I go to all the local shows with. I'd offer their bands. You know, none of them came. Oh. One damn. person came. Wow. And her. Okay. But she came every Every day. Nice. And she always looked like like very like upset, very distraught the whole thing. I like, How did you guys meet? Uh, I worked at a tattoo shop, and she was the, the counter person okay. at the tattoo shop. And I hit on her, but because, one, I'm not really slick, <laughs> but also because there's like a language barrier. She didn't know that I was hitting on her at first. you know. And, and then I ended up tattooing her. And the first time she brought her boyfriend. Oh. And I was like, ah. Awkward. But then I guess she realized that I was interested in her. So the next time she came, she already ditched her boyfriend. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> but, um. So you, know, you guys so, were together like three months when this all went yeah, down? Yeah. We, we were together for three months. And, um. Like I said, every day she'd come see me. And I was like, this is a good person. You know, of course. And I remember when I got out of the hospital, um, I was trying to get like a cab home, but it was right after the Hurton Towers went down. So like you know, like there were no cabs. Like I still, it's like a main avenue in New York, and there are like you know only like pretty much only cabs, and they're flying up and down the street. I can't flag one down. There are people like crying, like you know, leaning each other's shoulders, hugging. There's like piece of paper falling out of the sky. It's like all smoky. Wow. Like, it looked like the apocalypse. Of course. And wow. then I remember I took the train home. That's the only way I could get home. I took the train home from Manhattan to Brooklyn. So I'm in the train holding the railing with my head wrapped up in bandages and there's like, they're all bloody on the top. 
people assume I was in the towers. <laughs> and like they're asking me questions about bloody the towers. Band- Why did the hospital let you go with bloody bandages? It's Bellevue. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so, uh, mom and dad did not listen to me, put on music in the home. Uh, was there, uh, what was the first album that you sort of uh, fell in love with or acquired? Uh, you know, something that may have maybe started your collection well, I, I was always super into music uh-huh. and um this is old but cassette tapes were big I, so i i had I, a thousand of them in my basement yeah I, I i always had a walkman yes and that's you know that's the time when like you know i always everywhere i went i listened to music so i always had the walkman with me and listened to the music yeah. of the walkman yeah you know and, and like music was my relief that was my escape yeah from you know and i remember like First, like I said, I got into Rat, I got into Quiet Riot, I got into Def Leppard. Yeah. But I listen to it all the time. Sure. And, you know, I lived in Gainesville, Florida. It's a college town. So I get around on my bike everywhere. So I just put, like, headphones on and, like, you know, buzz around on my bike, go to my friend's house, go to... And, like, at that point, like, I drew a lot. And there were a lot of, like, local comic shops. And often they'd have an indie artist that worked there at the comic shop. So I get advice from them. Nice. I, I stop by. You know, there's a used bookstore. There's this guy Russ there that like he did a comic, and, and you know he gave me copies of his comic, and he'd like give me feedback and stuff. You know, but I I was like, on all my trips, I was like listening to the Walkman. Nice. You know? And like you said, first there's like the crappy kind of like yeah, 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 the yeah. harder you know hair metal bands. Like I didn't even like like. Like, I didn't like, like, Monte Crew. You know, I really didn't like Poison. I thought Poison was crap. Yeah. But, um, but like, Cinderella. the little bit harder ones, I did like Cinderella, but the little bit harder ones I liked. And then I heard, you know, th- then I heard, you know, in one week, Metallica, Megadeth, Slayer, and I was sold. Nice. I was like, this, this is, is music. my jam. So, I, what about first show or first memorable show? Um... See, when I was in Gainesville, Florida, like at the time, almost nobody played there. Really? Yeah. And that's when kind I moved to Virginia, that's when I started seeing tons of shows. Okay. The first one I saw, um, this makes my, the girl I have right now, um, she's a big fan of Faith No More. Okay. This makes her jealous. I saw Faith No More on the Real Thing tour. Oh, wow. You know, and that was the first. You know, like, it, it, it was, like, at a big concert venue. Like, I remember the headliner was Billy Idol. Oh, wow. You know, nice. Like, he just wrecked his motorcycle. And oh, he, yeah. like, showed us the, the yeah, big hole. Yeah, was like, yeah. Okay, okay. I remember um, Mike Patton from Faith and War had, like, long hair, and he's, like, dancing yeah. around. It was a really good show. But, um, and, and then, that was the first one I saw. But now that I was in Virginia, especially once I got into punk rock, because that, I was still, you know, on the border when I went to go see like Faith No More but <clears throat> then when I got fully into punk rock you know the like kind of CBGB's yeah. uh, of that era was um, the 930 Club in DC oh okay like that's where Minor Thought I would play yeah. that's where all these bands would play so you know I would go to 930 Club all the time like you know there would be bands that I'd you know pretty much every band I'd heard of because I read all the fanzines and everything you know, um, and there would always be word of mouth. Like, right. it was a small community, but, like, we all talked to each other all the time. So, you know, even bands I'd never heard personally, but I heard something about it, I wanted to go see. Yeah. 
So, like, I saw L7, I don't know how many times. I saw GBH. I saw The Exploited. I saw The Dwarves. I saw everybody. I saw tons and tons of bands. Nice. Um, well, uh, if I haven't said it already, uh, I really appreciate you having me. Uh, I mean, I uh, kind of sort of invited myself, but you were <laughs> welcoming. And uh, I appreciate you giving me uh, a chunk of your day. Um, and I also appreciate you, all of our correspondence, and of course, uh, you sending me a list. Um, and if you grab the sheets of paper underneath the record and CDs behind you, um, we're going to run through your list chronologically. Okay. Uh, in, in order of release. Uh, <laughs> so that would mean we're starting in 1984, Ride the Lightning, Metallica. Uh, second of eleven records, including one from this year. I, I didn't realize they put out they put out one this year. But Ride the Lightning, eight tracks, forty seven minutes. How big of a Metallica fan are you? Do you know their entire discography, and why does this one make your list? Okay, well, I say first of all, um, I know people say that the first album is like you know one of their favorites. It's not one of mine. Okay, but. Ride of the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Injustice for All sure. were, you know, those are bedrocks. I think those are, to this day, they're three of my favorite albums. And then I remember when they did the Black Album, and I felt kind of let down. I oh, felt did like, you? Yeah, they're okay. kind of going more like groove heavy. And like, I didn't feel like, I don't like the term sell out because I have nothing against people making money. Of course not. Yeah. You know? But, um, so, you know, I didn't like the Black Album as much. I felt like they kind of like, like I remember they were like very much against doing anything commercial, and they did well, the video for one, and then one kind of blew up so big, yeah. and they did it because they felt like this is a really significant story. Oh yeah, and then one blew up so big that they were like, oh, you know, we we have commercial appeal. Yeah. So yeah. You know, <laughs> then they did Inner Sandman, they right? did Bob Rock, you know. So and then they did the Load and Reload albums. Both of which I bought, and I, but I was just like, well, you know, they've just transitioned. This is what they are now. Yeah. I feel like they sold out. It's just like, yeah, they're getting older. You know, this is what they're doing now. And then they put out San Anger, which is a pile of crap. Okay. And that's when so I'm like. So you do know the whole discography. Yeah. That's when I was like, all right, I give up. Okay. Fuck this band. What about the one from this year? Have you listened to it? No. Okay. No, after okay. San Anger, I gave up. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Like, you were like, kidding. Okay. Those, those three albums. To this day, are masterpieces. Well, I listen to them all the time. Like I said, this is episode 89. This is the fourth Metallica record to make somebody's list. Uh, the others being Master Puppets, Black Album, uh, and, and Justice for All. Uh, but what uh, it's Ride the Lightning for you. What is Why? it? What, yeah. One, I like bands... Um, like I think, like if you if you look at all music's ratings and stuff, they always list like their most polished album. That's not their best, <laughs> you know. And I think um, I don't really like the first one, Kill 'Em All, because it just is thrashy and it just kind of has nothing going on. But I really like Metallica's Ride the Lightning because that's when they have that refinement. That's when they tell great stories like From the Bell Tolls, yeah, yeah. Creeping Death. I yep. mean, they're amazing stories. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I like that a little bit better than uh, Master Puppets just because, one, it's a little more raw, and two, it's the first album I heard by them. Okay. That's all, always, always big points for everybody, myself right. included. Um so we'd skip one year ahead from uh, 
uh, Ride the Lightning, and Atomizer by Big Black, 1985. Uh, first of two, uh, number two being songs about fucking. <laughs> uh, but this one is 10 tracks, 37 minutes. Steve Albini. Yeah. From uh, Nirvana. Uh, well, he, he was a producer for Nirvana. What, what he did is, like, uh, when I got really into punk rock, um, I still, like, at the time, it was not cool to like metal if you were in punk rock. Of course not. Right. Now nobody cares. Right. But at the time, yeah. it wasn't. But I really liked, like, that metal taint just stuff. And people used to, people were so fanatical about it, they'd argue to me that, like, Sick of All was really metal. They weren't even <laughs> punk rock. But I remember I really liked Big Black because, like, I always kind of, like, felt like an outsider. And they... They were kind of like doing that out of the box outsider stuff, you know, and they had a little bit of like that, like, um, like discordance and aggression of metal, you know, like I really don't like punk when it's like, you know, like pop punk, like, you know, just, sure. you know, so they, they had all that stuff, but they had, I thought they had great storytelling. I thought they had great musicianship. Like to this day, my favorite metal is like math metal. Okay. You know, so yeah. So you know they're they're kind of they're kind of complex, kind of mathy, kind of discordant, <laughs> very nice. dark, great lyrics. Yeah. You know, and then Steve Albini. I mean, he's a great producer now. He produced like Nirvana's album. He produced a bunch of stuff. Yep. Um, but I I remember that just really struck a chord with me. And like all my friends from that era will tell you that they're like he would not fucking stop listening to Big Black. <laughs> And these, so these guys are out of Evanston, Illinois. How did they land in your lap? Well, this was the the punk scene was small, but we all read fanzines all the time. Aha! Uh-huh. So it was like like you know with metal they had like the tape trading network. Yep. You know, with, with punk rock it was like we had the fanzines. Okay. The fanzines told us what vinyls you, to pick you up. You would go to a brick and mortar and and buy them when they came out, or, or would you order them? Yeah, the there mail was a, there was I remember in DC there was um. There was, uh, it was Smash Records. Okay. It was in downtown. It was like the downtown kind of punk shop. And the thing is, like, all the punk stuff, like Jock Barnes, were overpriced there. Oh. But they had the cool fantasies and the cool vinyls and stuff. Plus, it was very, very word of mouth, too. And people would be like, oh, you like the band? Uh, why don't you try this one? <laughs> you know? And That's I remember. Good stuff. We, we would do, like, almost like the metal thing, like burning, like, mixes on tapes sure. and, like, giving it to people. And I don't remember what sparked it, but once I heard it, I was sold. Nice. Nice. Um, that's good stuff. So, uh, again, a single-year leap. Uh, we get to Slayer's Rain and Blood, which is th- the third of 12 uh, in their discography. Ten tracks, 28 minutes. When I think of Slayer, two things always come to mind. Uh, one, I, I did 20 years uh, in the restaurant business, um, almost exclusively back of the house. I had a couple front of the house spots here and there, but there was a server that I worked with for a number. I know where you come from. <laughs> yeah, there's a server that I worked with who uh, in Kansas City. Uh, he moved up from Texas. Uh, Jimmy James Tex Smokey, handful of nicknames. Jimmy Sullivan is his name, but his parents named him Timothy James, okay. which is they probably didn't think about it at the time, but if you make first and middle nicknames, 
then it's Timmy Jimmy. <laughs> so anyway, uh, he, uh, Smokey, he was always very, very visibly high. I don't think he realized that Visine was available uh, at your local pharmacy. <laughs> or did he care? But uh, no, he did, and he had big, long, flowing, curly hair. And uh, uh, anyway, uh, the table that we would all uh, gather at post-shift uh, was table number 42 and, and sit there and have a meal or a couple beers or whatever. Uh, um, and uh, Slayer came up one night and uh, and he goes, uh, uh, you know what my, my favorite Slayer line is? And I said, I don't know any lyrics by Slayer at all. So no, I don't know what your favorite Slayer line is. And he goes, uh, I keep my Bibles in a pool of blood so that none of its lies will deceive me. Yeah, you got his soul, yeah. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, that's fucking <laughs> intense. Uh, so that's the first thing. <clears throat> and the second thing that comes to mind when I think of Slayer, uh, shouts out to my buddy Alex, the his uh what do you call the not your profile pic on twitter but the one across like your banner mm-hmm. his his twitter banner looks like a uh a, a sign that you would see in, in a in a in a restroom in a restaurant okay but it says employees must carve slayer in their forearm before returning to work that's cool <laughs> so, yeah. yeah um but uh talk to me about slayer and rain and blood please I, well, I got Hello Waits first and got it from, like, there's a used record store. I, I think I got it for, like, a dollar, two dollars. Okay. And I was like, oh, well, I like the cover. I'll listen to it. And I remember, like, it starts out with that, like, slow, like, build up. And I was like, oh, what is this? And then it kicks in. And once <laughs> it kicks go. in, I'm sold. There, okay. You know? And then I remember not long after that, I picked it up Rain and Blood. You know, and, and that was great. I, like, Rain and Blood, first I like... First listen, you're like, yeah. Yeah, well, first listen, I was like, yeah, but you know what? I like Rain and Blood more now than I did then. Oh. And I'll tell you why. Did you put it away and come back to it? Or? No, okay. I, I never put it away. Okay. But the thing is, like, at the time, you know, like, I, I was, you know, big into, like, political, you know, stuff. Like, like I told you, political cartoons. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and like I was big in punk rock, and my you know super conservative Christian parents would piss me off, and so, so yeah, so and I remember I really liked Peace Cells, like especially like the video for Peace Cells. Okay. It was like, what you think I'll pay my taxes? What you think I'm fucking broke? Huh? <laughs> you know, I was like, and I like that, like you know. I, I liked how like it, it seemed like you know there was more going on with Slayer. Just it seemed more like boom, crash, bang, bang. You know, just aggression with taking story. care of business. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. Um, so, are you uh, their discography? Are you familiar with all? Yes. The, and yeah. most mostly thumbs up. Mostly, mostly thumbs up. I would say I'm not a huge fan of Dabblas and Musica, but I don't hate it. Um, but the last couple albums, basically after him and died, just they're not the same. Oh, okay. Like World Painted Blood and what's the new one, Repentance? Maybe, maybe. Or you know, but those two. That's when I was like, all right, I'm done. Like I, I yeah. like all the way through Christ Illusion. I was like Christ Illusion. I'm like that's awesome. And then like the last couple after him and died, like I I think they need him and him and it was like. He, he was like the punk rock soul of Slayer. Okay. Uh, you said you have uh, uh, a lady now? Yes. And is she, she into metal too? Yes. Okay. Right on. Right on. So you guys, 
pretty much whatever. It, if you feel like listening some, to something at home and put it on, uh, she's cool with it and vice versa. Right. Yeah, well, I remember like when when I first met her, like um, I was like, "Oh, it's a hot Korean girl," you know. I'll, I'll I'll take a chance, you know. And the first show we went to was like Converge and Flames, you know. A couple other bands were playing. Um, <clears throat> who else was playing? Kimball Corpse was playing, you know. And, and you know, we went to that, and and you know, I was like, "All right, this works." Nice. <laughs> you know? And, and yeah, we we've been to see a bunch of bands since then. We see Dead Guy. We went to go see um, Overcast. We went to go see a bunch of bands. But yeah, no, she likes the music. How'd you guys meet, and how long have you been together? Well, like I said, um, so you know, we got together um, because, like I said, first she was just like this hot Korean girl. Oh, oh, this is your current. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about the the gal that you were married to. No, oh, okay. No, okay. no, the gal I was married to, like I met when she worked at a shop that I also worked at, and she was a counter girl. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, so, but but current girlfriend, uh, you met where? Um, so I remember, <laughs> you can date me. I met her on MySpace. <laughs> Current girlfriend you met on MySpace? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Like I remember we were just talking about something. Make her one of your top friends. <laughs> right, go right on her wall. Well, I remember we were talking about something and I invited her to like this show. Okay. Okay. You know? and, and she was like, "Yeah, I'll go." Shooters got to shoot. It, it turns out I didn't know. Like she'll tell you now, but I didn't know. But she was like a fan of my tattoos. Oh, cool. And knew who I was. Oh, wow. And she couldn't believe I asked her out. We we. Sh- you know, makes me feel awesome. My but, boyfriend has a Wikipedia but, page. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, so, this is before the Wikipedia page. Okay, okay. <laughs> but, so we, we went out, you know, and um, she'll tell you at the time, like, she was kind of, like, wild and crazy, you know, so we went out for a couple of weeks, and then, uh, then we broke, I broke up with her. Okay. Like, like, like I, she got really drunk one night, and the next day, I'm like, all right, pack your shit out. <laughs> and then we didn't talk for like a year. Well, we talked occasionally, but sure. you know we weren't in state of communication for eight years. Um, I and I moved down to Texas. You know, I went out with a girl down there. I moved in, to Philadelphia. I, I went with a girl there. I moved back to New York. You know, I went out with a girl there. Um, then I moved to PA for a little while. Then moved back here because you know I had a shop here. I was like, I should live near my shop. Yeah. And then I started going out with her again. Okay. You know, and when I started going out with her again, that was in 2018. It's been since then. Wow, nice, very cool. Um, okay, so uh, we get out of our little uh, mid '80s run for your next one, which is called uh, "Gotta Love an Album Title with Ellipses in It." Uh, especially if the ellipses start the title for victory bolt yes. thrower 1994 uh fifth of eight albums for them 10 tracks 39 minutes british death metal uh that have put stuff out on earache records which came up when when i was taking forever to get set up to do this and me- or no metal blade metal blade's the one that came up i think Either, Blade, yeah. either way they put, put stuff out on both of those uh labels how did you get turned on to these guys so the way that we kind of found stuff back in like the late 90s was uh, mainly through like um, 
like fantasy and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, like yeah, yeah, of course. And um, I got a lot of stuff from uh, they're not around anymore, but they're called Veradistro, and Veradistro had all the underground stuff. Cool. And what they do is they send you like a, a like it was almost like a little booklet, like a you know, and all in um. Here's some newspaper. shit you could buy. Yeah, what? Here's some shit you could buy. Yeah, yeah. From but us. they send you a booklet, and the thing is, John from Veradistro, um, he loved that music. He, like he was super into it. Like he ran a label for a little while. Um, but so you know, anyways, in the booklet they have like the name is something like a, the band the album that they're selling and then they have a little description from him okay and, and his is pretty realistic because like there's somebody who goes well this I guess a kid like this <laughs> or he'd be like yeah this reminds me of so I remember him describing Bolt Thrower you know as like a couple other bands it's like kind of like this kind of like this that I liked so like yeah I'll check him out and then I remember once I got it I was like wow this stuff is great so now I have older albums like, I've seen them live. You know, I love their stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Um, let me let me see the album cover art for that one. Uh, this is for Victory, which is also the first album I got by them. Okay, okay. Very nice. Yeah. I started writing the track listing on the on there, and I was like, oh, it's already on the printout, Einstein. Jeez. <laughs> um, last but not least, it's another single year uh, leap. Uh, we go to 1995. Fixation on a coworker. Tab- yeah, dead taboo. Guy. Uh, dead guy. Nineteen ninety five. Their lone studio album. Right. Ten tracks. Thirty minutes. Uh, American metalcore from New Jersey. Decibel magazines. They made Decibel magazines Hall of Fame in two thousand six. Um, and that was probably. Oh, I I don't know. That might have been me because, like, I was in that magazine. Like, people would put in submissions. You know, and really? I, yeah, I put it in Dead Guy. <laughs> nice. Uh, toured in support of Fixation on a Coworker, but it, it, it didn't last. They uh, friction and two dudes left to go start some other band. <clears throat> well, what happened is this. Um, <clears throat> and by the way, they were a big transformative band that like influenced everybody. Oh wow! Because like as far as like um, metalcore goes, like metalcore was kind of like basic, like like boom boom. Like Hey Breed was the most complex to God. Okay. And Hey Breed's not complex. And then I remember Dead Guy, and Dead Guy actually came out before before Hatebreed, but I didn't hear about them until after Hatebreed, you know. But Dead Guy, like that complexity, like the kind of math metal and the changing tempos and everything, you know, they did that, and then the lyrics are like really well written, you know, um, prose. It's like a like a. Um, he has a song called Pins and Needles. It's like nine to five, you're not alive. This man, this day, this job tells you what to do. Like, and, and that really, especially in my early 20s, that really appealed to me. Oh, yeah. You know, and I remember the first time I heard them, it was just, it's like too noisy and chaotic for me. I was oh. like, ah, I don't know if I like this. Huh. And then, but I just kept listening to it. I mean, I was also broke, so it's not like you just go, eh, whatever. You're like, well, I spent a lot of money on this, so, you know. Yeah. So, but, and then it grew on me more. And more. Like, even today, they're still my favorite band. Well, I mean, are, I gotta assume they're the yeah, yeah. Uh, inspiration for your handle. Huge your, inspiration. You, but your 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 my inst- handle yeah. is uh, Dead Guy LLC. Dead Guy LLC on Instagram. Yeah, I incorporated it. It is Dead Guy LLC. Oh, nice. is my incorporation. Nice. Yeah. Is that what this place is under? Or is um, that a no? Different... This is under we we filed, we uh, started a separate corporation called the Abyss Inc. Okay. And this is under the Abyss. Right Inc. on. Right on. But I have a business partner on this. Okay. But um. 
like I now what I did like I went through traditional publishers for a while and they uh, by the way they suck it's like traditional music companies you know so I started my own publishing company um, and I'd already incorporated like for my artwork and stuff like that I was like I'll just use my incorporation as my corporation and as my publishing company so now dead guy LLC like when like the book that I gave you a copy of yeah like you'll see like I did a logo yeah I did a logo on that and it says and if you see inside it's, it's dead guy like look at the spine there it is yeah. dead guy LLC publishing yeah yeah quite the businessman um so uh we connected via a uh, podcast guest uh, email something or other, and you have okay. you, you have a, a a profile on there, right? And uh, and we reached, uh, I reached out, and, and that's how we started communicating. Um, how have you gone about finding guests for your podcast? Well, I do a lot of um, artwork for um, like. Uh, horror authors that you know they'll, they'll be in like um like anywhere from like magazines to fanzines to whatever some are kind of bigger names some are kind of lower names it's it's not i don't even really care if they're a big name or not it's whether or not i like the story sure if i like the story i don't care if two people read it i'll do the, the artwork for <laughs> Good it for you nice yeah um, but so I, I do a lot of artwork. So when I put that book out, for instance, what I did is I said, you know, hey, I will give you one of the original illustrations I did for your story in exchange for a short story. Mm. And, and, you know, I, I'd say like 9.5 tenths of them were down for it, you know. And um, so that's how I got the short story. And the thing is, I've seen communication and... and once some of the bigger names sign of this, you know, you have all these people like, oh, I want to be in it too. You know, I'd be like, well, you know, we don't to put out another one, but, you know, this one's already booked up. Right. You know, but all those people I was in contact with, I'm like, hey, do my podcast. There you go. Good for you. Awesome. So it's worked out that way. Nice. Um, so 63 episodes are up. Do you have some... Uh, do you have an episode already loaded in the, in the queue, ready to drop, or do you still have to, you know... Well, wear... every Thursday, but what I do is uh, I, I do them all via Zoom. Yes. So I, I have them all saved. So I think I have, like, six saved in the queue. That aren't out? That aren't out, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I did, um, also, I did quite... A, because I do a lot of um, like art conventions. Yes. You know, so I, I have a bunch of artists that, I, that I've approached and have been, like some of them, like Donato Giancola, he does um, all the Lord of the Rings stuff. He's okay. like, he, he's a big fucking name. I couldn't believe it. I was like, hey, you want to do my podcast? He's like, sure. Nice. So, you know, I get him or like, um, I, I got, um, uh, I got like Mark Verheiden who does all the alien stuff. I, I I got a whole bunch of people. So I get that and then I did a bunch of um there are a bunch of musicians that I did artwork for the bands, like uh Rachel Rosen from Indecision. You have some band artwork in your hand that you've yeah. done, right? What you wanna show uh your camera? Some of that stuff? Where's my camera? Right here. Okay. Um this is uh I did a I did a bunch of artwork for Shy Lude. Yes. Um, but the first thing I did was I did this, and this is back in the days before, you know, 
before I had a computer. I mean, there were computers, but... Shilud, two words, S-H-A-I, and then A-L-U-D. Like, like the movie Dune, Shilud, the okay. giant worms. Okay. And the album is called That Within Blood Ill Tempered. Okay. They always have these, like, long, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, like, dramatic names. But, um, so I did this, it was supposed to be, like, uh, uh, like a heart bursting, you know, with energy in the chest, and it was before I had the computer, so I went to the Strand Bookstore, um, which is a used bookstore in Manhattan, and I bought, like, you know, like, medical textbooks, and, you know, so I'd have reference on what the inside of the body looked like, and I brought that back. And I remember Shiloh was real picky, so I did a drawing, and then I did a watercolor painting. Can you move that face about a good... Like this? No, as you said earlier, somebody, you, you were trying yeah, to get a job, yeah. it's looking at your portfolio and there, or something, and they're like, can you move the face? And you're like, yeah. it's an oil painting, man. Well, the thing is, so, well, I'll bring that up in a minute, too. But, yeah, so I, I did this, I did, like, sketches, watercolor sketches, they came to my house... I remember um, the basis of Matt Fletcher wanted to get tattooed by me. Oh, wow. You know, and and, um, and then I finally did a full-on oil painting. It took me 60 hours to do it. And then by that point, their singer quit. Um, he went to, uh, where did he go to? I think Newfound Glory. Okay. And um, so they got a new singer, Geert, from um, Europe. And he came in and he said, oh, that painting is uh, too close to the concept of the first album. I wanted a different painting. <laughs> okay, so they asked me if the original painting they're going to reissue the, their first album, um, and they wanted to use that painting for the reissue, which is what this is. This is a reissue of that first album, you know. And uh, so I was like, all right. So I did another painting, and the other painting I did was um, it, like you can see up there. That's the painting up there. The guy with the river of blood. Yeah, I yeah. like that one a lot. And um, so. I did that painting for them, and while I was working on that, like, like I took photographic reference and stuff, and I remember I sent them stuff, and that's one where, like, yeah, can you move the head a little bit oh, this yeah, way, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, 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 like, um, originally the face was too human. They're like, oh, can you make the face less human? So I did. And then I remember Git was like, oh, does blood foam white? No. <laughs> the answer to all your questions is no this is my piece of art that i made for you well the answer to this question was yes he's like uh does blood foam white um, yes and i got rachel rosen who's in the band decision but she's been tattooed by me as an offer the band and she was working for the medical examiner's office and she was there when the twin towers went down actually oh, okay and um uh, so you know she like blood definitely foam was white yeah, and, and uh, so I'm telling Garrett. Odd fact like, to know. And, and then, so I do the cover for them. I spent forever, like 35 hours, 40 hours doing it. And then I end up at the hospital with brain cancer. Oh, damn. So I, I call Matt Fox from the hospital. I'm like, I'm going to finish your album cover. And, and he's like, oh, man, my man, you got brain cancer. Get better, get better. I'm like, no, I don't care if I die. I'm going to finish your album cover. <laughs> So they want to get out. I finished the album cover and I sent to them. And all this time goes by and they do this interview. And in the interview, they say, uh, yeah, well, we have uh, two artists doing you know, artwork for the new album. And they need me and they need this other guy. So I get a hold of Matt Fox. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? You know, I'm like, are you using my painting? He's like, oh, we can use it. I don't know if it'll be the cover or not. <sighs> And, and oh, and, and they also they wanted a concept album, so they wanted it to fold out. And so I started doing interior paintings, right? Okay. And one is um, 
There's supposed to be um, jackals and crows on the plains of Africa eating lion carcasses. Oh, wow. So uh, I did that as a watercolor painting. And then Matt was like, uh, why is it so bright? I'm like, because it's the plains of Africa. You know, if you want a nice scene, why don't you tell me you want a nice scene? <laughs> and then he wanted me to like do another painting of a pit of snakes, and I was about like ten hours into that. So when he's giving me so much drama over this one, I just stopped. He didn't even oh, use either of them, oh. by the way. Oh. And, and this cover I did for them, they ended up printing on a hoodie. And uh, the guy that they had to do their album um, also did all the interior stuff, but all digitally. And he told them that he would not do, you know the album unless he could do the cover and their label said you know hey well you're a metalcore band you know digital covers are the thing not all covers so the, so they listen like the cold less hurt you know, got the same feedback and they go no fuck you <laughs> <laughs> but so they did digital and then they my painted they used on a hoodie and they're saying on tour and rachel got a hold of me and she's like oh man I love the hoodie artwork you did for him I'm like what hoodie artwork <laughs> she wow. shows me I'm like what the fuck dude you know and then I'm like you can't ever use any of my paintings ever again and they were about to come out they had this band called Zombie Apocalypse side grindcore band yeah you know and I did an album cover for him and it's like it's that painting right up there with the guy with his face smashed in oh gnarly and okay. uh but they're called Zombie Apocalypse, a grindcore band. I'm like, what do you want? He's like, anything. Do whatever you want. So I did that painting for him, right? And then I give it to Matt Fox. He goes, oh, that's too horrific. We can't, nobody will buy our album. I'm like, dude, you're a grindcore band called Zombie Apocalypse. But, uh, <clears throat> so I, I, you know, and, and another painting, almost as horrific, you know, they, they, they're like, can we use that? But I did it in art school, you know, so I'm like, yeah, you can use that. And then I guess they were getting set up when I found out about the hoodie, and I was like, you can't use my artwork. And they'd already, you know, started all the press, you know, with a new painting. And, and, you know, so Matt's freaking out. I'm like, all right, you can use that, but nothing else. Wow. Um, what else you this, got there? This, by the way, is Zombie Apocalypse. Okay, like, okay. Um, this painting, it's like a wraparound painting. I have it out there. But like outside, yeah. Um, it's a wraparound painting, and they just use the top of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whatever. What else you got? Um, well, this is the Coalesce album. That's got, that's got your work on it. Yeah. Nice. So, are he, you credited? Oh yeah. Nice. Um, what he said, he wanted two babies. One looks like it's like facing the world, and one looks like it's like a little timid. Yeah. You know? So. That's what I tried to capture. Okay, like, you know? cool. And then um, from the back of the album, like I basically did, like you can see it up there. Um, you know, from the back of the album, he just, oh, cool, you know, man. He's like just do like um, whatever you want. So I was like, I'll do an abstract. And I, at the time with my paintings, I was big into like smashing stuff. So I smashed the TV and, and like, you know, glue some of the TV pieces to the back of it. So this is, this is the back okay. of the album. Okay, nice. Know? Very nice. And I had another band who started a label um, called Purity Records, and he's like trying to put out like you know local hardcore bands and metalcore bands and stuff like that. And um, when the first album came out, like first we could do a fanzine together, you know, and then he just kind of bailed on it. Oh. So, but the artwork in it for the fanzine most probably just blood used, so it wasn't total waste. But 
then he started a label and he asked me to do the cover for the label. Um, offered to pay me, never did. But <laughs> but so I, I did this for the cover for you know the first album. I did this for the back cover. Like I went all out. You yeah. know, like this the original paintings right there. I, I love. I was gonna say you gotta tell me the story about that piece because it's awesome. And 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 by the way, um, if you see like in, in a way like this is me. And you see, like, the needles, like, heading in the back of his head. I'm oh, like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the needles are acupuncture needles. And at the time, my brother went to school for acupuncture. So he mailed me acupuncture needles. So I glued them on there. You know, and then the back, like, I found, I lived in Brooklyn, and I found a TV, and I shattered it. And I, I you know, glued pieces of glass to it. And I had this high-minded concept like based off of like kind of a waking dream I had in Brooklyn mm. where like I was like biking home you know from my shitty restaurant job to my place in Brooklyn it was nighttime you go through like you know you kind of go through like the rougher area with like they're not projects but it's kind of close yeah projects you know so I'm going through that you know but it's night you know almost nobody's on the streets you know, the, the air feels kind of, like, milky. Yeah. You know, so, it, like, it, and I've been working all day, so you're, you're a little bit, you know, out of it. And so I was thinking, like, it, it's almost like, you know, it, it's almost like I'm being smothered by the city. Oh, wow. Right? So, and, and this, it's almost like you're being smothered by the city. And I, I put, like, the tops of, like, man buildings underwater. Like, if you look closely, you'll see the little ripples and bubbles. And then, you know, I have this hamburger, you know, like, you're, you're, I told you the time I did <laughs> So, like, you're breaking out of, like, the, the, like, media conglomerate, like, everything they're trying to have, forcing you to just break in service. And, like, so kind of hiding that sense of breaking, I put, like, the glass, like, you're breaking that layer sure. of glass. Like, I like it. The, the social screen they're putting, on. whatever, like I said, very, very artsy. Yeah. And then their second album they came out with, uh, Period Records, or second album they released, was um, this band called Locked in a Vacancy. And I was good friends with the members of Locked in a Vacancy. So I did the first album cover, and this is their first album cover. And this is a singer, Diami. You know, he's still a good friend of mine. Nice. Um, but this is a singer, and he's like, you know, you know, basically coming out of ruins. And I did back cover painting for him as well. Cool. And uh, Purity Records broke up. Oh, man. <laughs> but, I mean, Locked in Vacancy is still around, so. Well, that's really good stuff. I appreciate it. Um, we're going to wrap here in just a sec uh, and get you out of here and get me out of here. Um, but uh, before we do that, uh, Dead Guy LLC on Instagram, danhank.com, um, and then the shops website abyssartstudio.com and then last but not least skull session with dan hank is the podcast which you can find where you stream audio right. on youtube um but to wrap uh five can i mention one thing real quick? yeah please so i i finally like i have four novels out now and a bunch of short stories and stuff but my first ever novel um, it's called The Black Seas of Infinity. Okay. And, you know, when, when I was a little kid living in Florida, I was like, I'm going to make this a comic book. So I, I've gone through, like, you know, 10 different itinerations of this, including, like, full-on storyboard pages and everything, you know. And then I, I finally, after that, you know, really disappointing interview with DC Comics, was like, I'll do an illustrated book. 
Because that way I can put out what I want and like put illustrations. So I did that and I put it out and it, it went through a couple of different publishers. The last one they had was Premier Press. And then they just held the rights forever. Mm. And I kept saying, hey, can I get the rights back? And they kept giving me the runaround. Finally, I get another author involved and I got the rights back. Nice. So then I spent literally like 100 hours writing it. I think I'm a way better writer than I was back then. I mean, this is like, I put this out in like 2010. Are you a, a writer that uh, always writes at the same time of day each no. day? Or are you all no. over the place? All over the place. Okay. Whenever I feel inspired. Sure, sure. Um, but so I, I went back and I rewrote all of it. And then I, I had edited it like three times. Uh-huh. Like you kept putting it out. Uh, and then people would go, oh, there are all these errors. I'm like, ah, oh, fuck. You know, like I'm used to publishers where you just give them something and they fix it. Right, you know? right. So, but, so I, I re-edited like four times and I put it back out. You know, I, I put um, like lots of additional artwork in it. You know, I have like a book trailer. I'm really excited about that because to me, that's the story I've had forever that I thought was a great story. And it's out? But, yeah, it's, uh, if you open that cabinet, I have one copy left in there. The Black Season Fate on the far right. Look at that. <laughs> the Black Seas of Infinities. Of Infinity. Is that your artwork on the cover, too? Oh, yeah. You can see the painting right there. Oh, yeah. Nice. Wow. And if you flip through it, there's, like, tons of illustrations. Like, very comic book style illustrations, because that's what I do. No year. On your uh, whatever you call that page, is this, is this oh, also the, the introductory page? Yeah, well, that that's like originally it came out like it's on Amazon stuff. Okay, so okay. it says the original publication date. Gotcha. But it says the original publication date of the last publisher. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So I I think it said like it came out in 2011 originally through Interkey Books, then. Premier Press put it out in what is it, 2014 or 2015 and then I like re-released it this year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So, the re-release can be found on Amazon and all the places? Amazon, everywhere. Oh, Amazon, awesome. Barnes and Noble. Awesome. Very but cool. Amazon is the best because <laughs> Amazon has like, well, I don't say that because I like love Jeff Bezos. Sure. I don't hate Jeff Bezos, but right, whatever. Right. But the thing is, I say that because like, you know, it's also available through Draft Digital, which is like all the other stores. Um, but Draft Digital has a more limited um, like printing network. Okay. So the stuff they put out isn't like, like the. I don't feel it's like as smooth and I, you know, like there's something called drop caps, which is like the beginning of every chapter, you know, you, you'll have like a drop. So it doesn't have, it doesn't incorporate all those elements that uh, there's a couple extra cool elements that I think that you would have right. with the Amazon release. Nice. Very nice. Well, five, uh, five goofy questions to close and then we'll, we'll okay. get out of here. So, uh, the first is, um, you're given the ability to visit your past self at any age of your choosing. What age are you choosing and what are you saying? Probably, um, probably 17. Okay. And um, there are a couple things I've learned through experience. Okay. Um, one is, you know, 
I, I was like, if I when I was 17 or 18, if I wouldn't ask somebody, like I asked a tattoo artist, you know, hey, can I apprentice? And they say no. I'm like, all right. They say no. I just walk out. And I never go back. That's not the way their psychology works is they want to see you're serious about it. They want you to come back and ask yeah. again. So like so if you come back like, you know, three times, four times, and every time you bring like a portfolio of your drawings, they're like, Hey, this guy really you know, he really is into this. Yeah. yeah. You know, so that 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 initial turn your way is just kinda of weed out the chaff. You know, so um the I don't know, um, like, I, I definitely, like, I was all sold to comic books. Like, I, with my podcast, I interview people that, like, I looked up to. Like, uh, like um, Walter Simonson, who did the Thor run. Okay. Um, he advised on the Thor movie. Like, you know, I have all his stuff up there. I'm a big fan of his stuff. Nice. I interviewed him, and he works as a teacher, an art teacher. Huh. Uh, uh, Steve Bissett, you know, huge influence. Him and John Tobin are the biggest influences on the way that I draw. You know, and I couldn't believe that I could get an interview with him. I did. He he's a art teacher at a college. It's like so all these people that work for big companies, you know, they weren't able to keep any of the rights and you know, they didn't make crazy money and they they ended up doing what they loved but starving and now now they do another job. Right. So it you know, I, I if I'd known that earlier, I would don't especially don't go with like the big people like Marvel or DC, you know. Right. Um, right. I mean, there are some people like the guy who did the Crow for Caliber Comics, James Barr. Like, I'm sure he made money, but you know, it, it's kind of like indie press versus you know big record yeah. company. Yeah. Like I remember hearing about TLC, which by the way, Left Eye Lope, uh, was it Left Eye? She was one of the members of TLC. Yeah. Like, I always thought she was incredibly hot. But I remember... She's you know, the one that burned down Andre Risen's yes, mansion, isn't yes. she? Yeah. That even makes it hotter. Yeah. <laughs> but um, she got in a, like a plane crash, yeah. But I remember like she was talking like TLC had three best-selling albums in a row. She could barely pay her rent. Crazy Sexy Cool was the first one. Right. Right? I don't know. I don't listen to music. I just thought she was hot. Okay, but okay. it sucks. Right. Waterfalls. Oh, Waterfalls is great. What are you talking about? No scrubs? You don't like scrubs? It's funny. All right. No scrubs is funny. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, um, let's see here. You get to uh, have lunch or a coffee or a beer or whatever uh, with any person of your choosing, dead or alive. Who is it and why? Wow. Um, I don't know. Probably, he's still alive. Probably like Alan Moore. Um, he wrote Watchmen. Okay. He he wrote he wrote a bunch of stuff. He wrote like all the early Swarm things. I have them all oh, there. Oh yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, so it's uh, the best illustration team and one of the best authors. Um, I remember um, at one point I took a six-hour writing seminar from him. I learned so much; it was amazing. Awesome. Him and Stephen and Stephen King, you know, had the best seminars. I took both their seminars. But um, and I, I remember with Alan Moore, I took notes with Stephen King too. But sure. I had more notes from Alan Moore because Alan Moore is like almost a little like OCD technical okay. stuff. Okay. Okay. You know, and um, you know, he he's a very smart guy. He knows the whole business. He got screwed over by DC Comics oh, big man. time. Like with Watchmen, what they did is um, real quick 
you know, story about Watchmen. So they bought the rights from Charleston Comics for like the, all their characters. Charleston Comics went bankrupt. So like the Blue Beetle and you know the Fly and all these other characters. And then they go, um, <clears throat> all right, we have all these characters that we bought, and um, we have to do something with them. Why don't we, we hear this uh, British guy is really talented, you know, he doesn't really have much of a track record here in the U.S., but maybe he can do something with this. So they gave it to him, so he started writing Watchmen. So when he was writing Watchmen, they go, oh, this is, you're, you know, this character's really fucked up. You can't, we just bought all these, you can't destroy them. So they had to rename them. So all of his characters in Watchmen are kind of similar to the Charleston characters, but they're not the same. Okay. So, then he did the whole thing, and like I said, he's a little bit OCD on this, so like, he would do like, draw storyboard pages, he gives to the artist, like this is what I'm thinking. He built a, a, a little model of Manhattan, so he could plan, if you're on this street, you see this person on this street, you know. So, <clears throat> he went over the top on this, did, I would say it's the best comic ever. You know, he did the Watchmen, put it out, and DC thought, well, this is when they just started to have comic shops. Like, before that, they sold them to the 7-Elevens. So, you know, they're like, well, this won't make it, like, to mainstream, like, 7-Elevens, but it'll make it, like, comic shops. Not that many people will buy it, but it'll give us a lot of cred. Right. You know, so they told him, well, you know, um, they ask us to renew the rights like every, like, year or whatever. We just won't renew them, and everything will revert to you. No. Right. So then it started coming out, and then it started getting tons of praise. It was like in Rolling Stone. Oh, wow. It was in Time Magazine. Okay. Like, you know, <clears throat> Rolling Stone called like one of the best written, one of the hundred best written things ever. Nice. You know, all this stuff. Um, but then when DC realized they had hit on their hand, all of a sudden they kept renewing the right. Like to this day, DC still has the rights. Wow. And then they started putting out Watchmen t-shirts and Watchmen watches and stuff. And I'm more like, that merch. where's my, you know, percentage of that? And they go, oh, this promotion for your comic book. So he got screwed royalty. Wow. Like when they came out with the movie, he didn't want them to make a movie, by the way. But when they came out with the movie, he's like, take my name off the movie or I'll sue you. So his name is not on the movie. Oh, wow. That's crazy. But um, very witty guy knows a lot about the industry. I'd love to talk to him. Cool, that sounds awesome. Uh, complete this one, this sentence for me, if you would, please. Uh, the world would immediately become a better place in which to live, if only. I don't know. I I think one one of the biggest problems is organized religion. Okay. Um, and I I think you know, like. I don't care if you're Muslim or Christian or what. Like, I'm an atheist, but I don't care. Right. As long as you don't try and make me follow the pattern of your religion. Like, uh, you know, like, like um, there, there are some, like, um, streams of, like, Islam that believe, like, you should throw homosexuals off buildings. Sure. Like, Iran executed an atheist in the public square, you know. So, like, when you get crazy like that, you know, then fuck you. But <laughs> right. but other than that, I don't care. And and there there might actually be a reason. Like if you notice, like every like ninety something percent of the world believes in a religion, right? Not the same religion, but it might be like it might be something that's evolved that like made us live instead of the Neanderthals. Oh, interesting. Because the Neanderthals might have died out because they didn't have that social cohesion that we had. 
that were bigger than us and stronger than us, but we could act as a group. And it might be that religion unified us enough for us to like advance, you know, and then divided us in different ways. Yeah, maybe. I don't well, know. It, it it might be one of those things like the tonsils, like we don't need them anymore. <laughs> the appendix. <laughs> the appendix. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, who has uh, just what? Kyle Canane has a new stand-up uh, hour on YouTube out, and uh, he's like, you'd think. Uh, all these years later, nope, just every single baby born just with a live stick of dynamite. Get him out of here. Get him out into the world. <laughs> Talking about the appendix and how it could kill you. Right, and right. There's no use for it. Right, right, exactly, um, yeah. Well, so, there's like a, when people, it's hard to go on a, like a, to gaslight this somewhere else, but, but like, you know, one, one of the things like, this proof of evolution, but it's like one of the funny things evolution did is like you know the like giraffes have a giant neck, right? So they have a vein that goes from one portion all the way up their neck, all the way back down to their heart, instead of just straight over the heart. And the reason why is because giraffes didn't always have a long neck, yeah. so it went like this, and then the neck got taller. Wow. <laughs> um, is there a band? Uh, or an artist or a song that uh, if they come on the radio or, or the stereo, wherever you are, uh, the, you, you feel like walking out of the room, that, like you won't, won't listen to them? No, I, I don't think so because I can block it. Uh, I mean, I work in tattoo shops, so people play stuff here all the time, including crap I hate, like Blink-182 and stuff, <laughs> um, or some 41 or whatever. Sure, sure. But, um, but... There, there's one song that comes on. Um, people are going to make fun of me for this. <laughs> um, is James Blunt, Goodbye, My Lover. Okay. Um, and every time I hear that song, it reminds me of my dead wife. Okay. So every time I hear that, my eyes kind of swell sure. up. You know? Like, I don't walk away and leave. Sure. Like, I kind of want to hear it because it reminds me of her. Yeah. But it also makes it sad. Yeah, I hear you. Last but not least, uh, True or False? It is okay to wear the T-shirt of the band you're going to see to their show. No, false. It's not, false. Okay. It's that not is, okay. That is the correct answer. <laughs> <laughs> and I made the mistake as a kid when I was like 15, and then never again. <laughs> Dead guy LLC on Instagram, DanHank.com, uh, Skull Session with Dan Hank podcast, and then what's the shop's website? One more time. Is uh, the Abyss Tattoo Studio, but the website, yeah, dot com, yeah, the Abyss Tattoo, Tattoo Studio dot com. Okay, right on. Uh, well, thank you very much uh, for having me out to Long Beach. Um, I am very thrilled to have come all this way and to have met you. And I'm also uh, keeping my fingers crossed that I'll be uh, sleeping in my own bed tonight. Uh, <laughs> a few, just a few hours from now. Uh, uh, the, the, Airlines have been horrible lately. <laughs> stop. We're going to stop talking about it right there. Thank you, Dan Hank. All right, thank you. <laughs>